Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grow Up. On today's episode, it's my pleasure to welcome my guest, Wesley Hong. Hey Wesley, how are you? Good, Blair, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. No, uh, thank you so much as well. Um, I've always wanted to kind of be on a podcast, just didn't know when it was going to happen, but I'm definitely a little bit nervous, but also very excited to uh, be oh. on so Thank you so much. Of course. Oh, no, don't be nervous. And it is my honor to have you on and be your first podcast, which I'm sure you'll get like a ton more asks, hopefully, <laughs> after this one. But um, so, Wesley, you know, OK, so I was just we were just talking about how um, I randomly messaged you on Instagram because we have a lot of mutual friends. Um, and I was kind of telling Wesley, like, yeah, I like stalked you on Instagram and I just kind of felt like your story might be something that a lot of people could gain insight from. Um, and so I'm excited to hear and learn more about you today. Um, this is my first time meeting Wesley, even though we have a lot of mutual friends. So, um, yeah, without me talking so much, we'll, we'll get started. <laughs> um, so, Wesley, uh, I know that you, you told me you just moved to California from Georgia. Um, but what is it that you do for your job? Yeah, so for my career, I am a UX designer. Okay, so like I kind of know what that is, um, just because I've had a UX UI de designer on the podcast before. Um, but for those that are new listeners and have no clue what that is, can you explain what a UX designer is? Yeah, so the usual spiel that I give to people, because definitely this is a question that gets asked a lot, because I think it's definitely a, a recently a hot new trending career that a lot of people that I know are trying to get into and stuff like that. But sure. usually what I tell people, it's basically I design apps and websites and platforms and stuff like that, but basically through research. So it is kind of a mixture of graphic designing uh, with a lot of mix, a lot of research that comes into play beforehand. So mm. you have to be able to justify, you have to be able to back things up in terms of the design decisions that you make. So um, for example, uh, let's just say that I was a UX designer for, I don't know, a dating app like Hinge, right? Mm -hmm. uh, before I even think about making any design changes to the actual app, I have to figure out exactly like what is going on. Is there any problems with the app? Is there any ways to improve it? Improve it? Is there any possible new features that we can think about to add on top of that? So in order for me to do that, the research part comes into play where I have to, number one, I got to talk to the business partners, uh, the stakeholders, try to get an understanding of some of the business goals, right? So, because at the end of the day, you know, if you're a company, you got to make money, right? Or you got to be able to save money. So mm -hmm. essentially, the, some of the top questions that come to mind is, you know, if we were to create this new feature or if we were to make these design changes, can it possibly save us money? And how much money would that look like? Or how much money could this make us, um, essentially? And then by understanding that, there's the business side of things. And then there's also the user side of things. So I have to be able to go and talk to the users themselves and figure out, like, and, and just hear from their perspective specifically, because when business people, when all they think about is kind of the business side of things and the money, they don't necessarily do enough on their end to look into the user 
uh, goals and understanding them. And that's where I come into play, where I get to talk to, let's just say, a lot of different uh, Hinge users and talk to them and ask them questions like, hey, like, how is your app experience? Do you like it? Mm -hmm. If not, then what are some of the things that you don't like about it? Is there any part of the features that's really confusing? Is it complicated? Is it, is there too many steps? And then in what ways can we improve it? So based off of that mm -hmm. research that we gathered, then it helps me to pinpoint towards a specific solution or a specific change or feature that we can add. And then I guess you could say that's where the creativity come, kind of comes into play, sure. where you're sketching different designs, different screens, um, turning them into wireframes, essentially. And then once you do that, you can put it into like a clickable prototype and then use that to test it out with users again. And then they can like play around with it Then they can give their feedback from there. And then if everything looks good, then you can essentially finally push that product out and then see it live and see how people interact with it, get continue to get feedback from them. But that's kind of essentially the whole process. It's like, yeah, doing the research first and then getting into the creative and working on the design itself. Gotcha. Okay. So like, just to clarify, UX stands for, or it's abbreviated for user experience, correct? That is correct. Okay. So like... What you were explaining, like part of your job is to like, you have to start from the genesis of the issue. Like you, you, the example you gave was using the Hinge app, the dating app. And so I guess you can't even start, what you're saying is you can't even start working on the design unless you know what the issues and problems are for the user themselves. Right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so you're basically finding solutions for us. So, okay, like, for example, okay, I don't use Hinge. I've never been on Hinge. But, like, um, could you make it, like, an Instagram, like, user experience? Like, what would a, like, something like, like, so if there was a problem, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm trying to make it more, like, understandable for myself. Sure. Yeah, so, like, if I were to use an example, like, Instagram, right? Uh-huh. I mean, like, Instagram right now, the way that the app works I'd say like it's a pretty good app. There's not a lot of things that are confusing. I think right, most okay. have gotten the full gist of how to use it, right? So uh -huh. I think for Instagram, their challenge is, all right, what else can we create to keep our users engaged, right? Is there a new feature that we can add to it? So I guess let's, I guess one of the newer features that they've had is like adding Instagram stories, like that, that, at least that's the thing that comes to the top of my mind. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. they're looking into that and we're like, okay, we want to create this Instagram stories because we know that Snapchat essentially has something like that. Now right. we're thinking, all right, this is a new challenge. It's a new feature we want to look into. But in order to do that, where do we start? Like, and then there is that aspect of even doing the, within the research, there's an aspect of doing like competitive anal competitor analysis. Mm. So you look at other platforms that do the exact same thing do research on them, see what what's working for them. And if there's any like area of opportunities that maybe they're not doing well, that helps yeah. me as the UX designer of Instagram to capitalize on that and to essentially create that and then make that possibly even better than Snapchat essentially. Wow. So do you know how, do you have to know how to like program and stuff too as a UX designer? Yeah, I think the biggest misconception uh, one of the bigger misconceptions that there is with UX design is, you know, the question that pops up a lot is, do UX designers need to know how to code? Okay. And I totally understand why people have that misconception or why they keep asking that, because 
you know, people think, all right, UX design, it's in tech, right? Mm -hmm. um, you work with software developers, technology. So there is the idea that you may also need to code. So to answer that question is uh, for me, no, I do not need, I do not code. I do not need to know how to code. Mm -hmm. I've never been asked to code either. Because okay. um, usually when you're working at more of like a bigger company, there is always going to be a specific software engineering position there or, or software engineer available. Okay, okay. You're going to be working with them specifically. Okay. The way that I kind of describe it as well is that if, if I were to use like a different analogy, like me as a UX designer, I'm kind of, and if we're trying to build a house, I'm like the architect, right? Like I tried to figure out, all right, how many rooms does a house need to have? Where do the electric plugs need to be within a room? Like how many does there need to be? Um, what is the ideal spot for a, a master bedroom to be in order to get the best sunlight? Like I do all that research and I really lay that all out. And then once I'm done with that as the architect, then that's where I would say the software engineers come into play where I would describe them as kind of like the construction workers mm -hmm. where they, they start to actually build it from scratch from, from the bottom to the top. And then we, us too, we have to definitely interact and talk a lot and make sure that we are on the same page, right? So as the architect, I have to make sure that the ideas that I have in my head mm -hmm. and in terms of maybe the resources that I have or the decks or anything like that, I have to make sure that I'm easily describing that to my software engineers so that way they can understand it and then they can start to build it. And then that way we can all be on the same page. Gotcha. Well, that, I love that. That made a lot of sense to me, especially my husband is a structural engineer and mm. he gives that example a lot. Like the architects are the ones that like design and he's the one that makes sure it holds the building will stand and it's possible. So exactly. um, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, okay. So like, are you contracted right now or do you work for a company? Yeah, so I am something called like a, a, a contract UX designer. So okay. I'm working with a recruiting agency who essentially found me a position at a company. So technically, they are the people that I am working for. I see. And they're contracting me out to a company, which specifically right now I am contracting at Starbucks right now. Oh, what? That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just trying to figure uh, everything out. But... Sure. So like, I guess in my head, when I think of a UX designer, um, I do think more on the creative side of things, but kind of a lot of what you're saying, it does sound like you're more of a problem solver than yeah. like, than like necessarily all creative, like all like, you know, the way it looks and things like that. It just seems more like you are more of a problem solver than you are like, ne like an artist, I guess. Um, would you agree, disagree? I don't know. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think when companies are looking to bring in a UX designer into their team, uh -huh. I think the num one of the top questions that they ask themselves is how, how quickly can this person go into a challenge, understand the problem, and then create a solution out of it? So <gasps> it's a lot of that process where, yeah, you have to be able to go into the room, assess the room, understand who's there at the table, make sure that everyone's voices are heard. You have to, you have to, uh, yeah, give everyone a voice to, to speak essentially. And you have to have, you have to hear everyone out. And then based off of what's being said, you have to come to kind of like that mutual agreement in terms of understanding, like, yeah, what's, what are the problems and then what are the solutions that we can tackle? So for example, right. I'll, when I'm kicking off like a, a project, 
some of the big things that we try to understand is, uh, yeah, like the problems and solutions. So we call it like a discovery and framing session. Okay. So we'll all come together, everyone that's involved within the project. So there's myself as a UX designer, there's my product manager, engineers, business partners, stakeholders. We all come to the table and it's like, okay, um, what, what area are we working on right now? What are we trying to work towards? Mm-hmm. And then there, for example, let's just say that within the drive-through pickup process, mm-hmm. let's just say that there currently exists 12 different problems that have arised, right? Whether it's from the customer perspective or barista. So once we've identified, once we've identified all 12 problems, then we have to prioritize those problems and figure out what are the top three problems that we can tackle. Because at the end of the day, like we can only work on so many different things, right? We don't want to spread ourselves too thin. We have to understand that there's probably certain projects that are bigger or higher in the list of priorities and that have a higher impact. Mm -hmm. So then we'll prioritize all those problems. Then let's just say, we'll say, uh, we'll pick the top three problems. And then from there, based off of the top three problems, then we start to think about, all right, what are some solutions that we can create? Mm-hmm. And then let's just say that we create, we thought about 20 different solutions. Then we have to prioritize those solutions again, and then come up with the top three solutions that we as a team think that we can handle and work on and move forward with and actually create in order to essentially improve our company, the process, et cetera. I see. I see. Man, there's a lot of steps too that have to go into it before you actually start creating things. I feel like. Exactly. Um, so, oh, what's it gonna, oh, is there is there a benefit? Do a lot of UX designers like contract work? Is there a benefit to that, or do you try to find somebody that will hire you just with their company? Or yeah, what is what is your take on it? Yeah. So this is actually my first contract position ever Mm -hmm. I've known they exist um but I think you know when I was like looking for different job positions whether it's like a full-time part-time contract freelancing I think my mind naturally was just drawn to full-time because as a full-time employee right you get full benefits right so the uh, medical health insurance dental vision uh, 401k you get pto you get discounts all those good stuff mm-hmm. so there's that sense of longevity security that's provided by being a full-time employee and then you know you'll know that you can as long as you do your job right and as long as there isn't another pandemic that comes through that cuts your job right anything like that like you'll, you'll you can stay at that company as long as you want until sure, you decide yeah. that you want to leave and work somewhere else or or something bad happens, et cetera. But so there is that yeah, security that I think naturally I, I was always drawn to mm-hmm. um, at first. Uh, but essentially, I just found this you know, opportunity with Starbucks as a contract position that I could not say no to. Mm. But to go over the pros of a contract, number one, like it gives you the ability to work for companies that you may not necessarily have the best chance of working for if you were to apply for a full-time. Oh, so for example, okay. one of the big top tech companies out there is Meta, right? It's considered a fan company in terms of like the top companies that a lot of people try to work for. I personally, myself, in terms of where I am in my experience, I don't think I'm necessarily up there yet to really mm-hmm. compete against other designers and apply for one of their positions. Because also that's that interview process, it's really long. It can take a month to two months. It's not really very clear on how long that takes. And that can take a lot of your time and energy. 
Um, but you know, if you were to go for a contract position, right? Let's just say Meta was looking for a contract UX designer. Usually, contract positions, um, the interview process is is a lot shorter. Maybe it's about a week to two weeks to three week process because, from the company perspective, they're just like, all right, we just need to find a UX designer to come in to this position, work for us for six months on this project, and then they're done. Yeah. Um, and another example is that, you know, when I came to Starbucks, I'm currently filling in for a UX designer who's on maternity leave. So they were like, okay, she's going on maternity leave. We need to find another UX designer to kind of help come in and help with the team. And then once she comes back, then I would essentially slowly make my exit essentially. Um, but yeah, this, this gives me the position to like, yeah, work for a company that I might not necessarily be able to easily get into. Yeah. And it also gives me the ability to network with a lot of people who work at that company. Sure, it gives yeah. me the option to possibly fully convert into a full-time as well. That's not guaranteed, but I like to think that, hey, if you do your job right and they really like you, then there is some chance that you could be actually converted to a full-time. Um, and then the other aspect that comes to mind is that usually contract positions, they get paid higher than a full-time. Huh. Because you because since you don't get full benefits mm-hmm. or anything like that, they'll try to kind of compensate that in terms of pay specifically. So that's been a kind of a nice little uh, bump in terms of my salary a little bit um, in doing that specifically. But yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. Um, And then one quick thing, and then the con is that my contract with Starbucks is coming to an end in the first week of July. So now I'm in this (laughs) process of like, oh my gosh, I have a month to find my next job, whether it's another contract role or another full-time. So there is kind of that cons of feeling not secure with where you're at. But I think it really depends on the person, right? Like if you're really about security and being secure, if you have a family, then being in a full-time position is probably the best. But if you're flexible, right? Or if you're single and like, you don't want to have to, you don't have necessarily as much responsibility over other people or things, then I say, why not go, go with the contract route work six months at Starbucks and then the yeah. next six months work at Meta and then another six months work at I don't know LinkedIn where whatever company you want to work for there is that sense of uh, liveliness and fun that I think that there is that aspect of like doing a contract role specifically no I think that is like such great advice and such good information because I feel like I mean I don't know I think I'm just not exposed to a lot of things especially now um at this season of my life as a mom of two and you know just trying to um you know keep my family alive but <laughs> but um no but I I never knew that and I feel like knowing that piece of information is really eye-opening because yeah why wouldn't you do that because it seems like if you're single and have the flexibility you would gain so much experience in such a short amount of time from so many different well-known companies, you know, um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It's yeah. the experience, the, the, the type of companies you could work for. Uh, and obviously there is some sense of, um, what's the right word when you get to work at these like big top, uh, big top tech companies, you know, it obviously like rings a bell with people when they see that on your list and they're like, oh, wow, like this person's worked for all these big tech companies. So there's that aspect. Mm -hmm. And again, like I mentioned before, the ability to network with people who are at those big companies, that could also lead to other opportunities as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Wesley, you have to tell me, how did you become a UX designer? 
I feel like it wasn't a straight line for you. Oh yeah, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So take me back to like high school, even like from okay. the beginning. <laughs> yeah, this is like such like a loaded question for me. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I loaded in kind of like a good way, like not in a bad way. Okay, but okay. So many layers as to like how I feel like I got to this position mm. to become a UX designer. So. I mean, like, what I really liked about your podcast, like, the name of it, like, when I when I grow up, right? Like, for me, like, w- when I was a kid and, like, when I had a sense of idea of, like, what I wanted to do, if I were to answer that question, it's, like, when I when I grow up, I want to become a creative. And that's the thing that I feel like I've been really trying to answer, like, my entire life mm-hmm. up until this point. Because um, I was just, like, a really creative person. I... You know, um, I think the first aspect of creativity was uh, when I started playing guitar at the age of five. Um, because my mom is like the age of five. Yeah. Sorry, I, like, I I have a five year old, and I'm like, what are you saying right now? It's not gonna happen. Wait, no, okay. it's not five. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> let me let me. It's not five. I don't know why I said five. It might have been ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even then, ten, 10 is so old. early. Yeah. Ten is super early. And okay, but you started early. You started playing yeah. guitar early. Okay, yeah. continue. Because like uh, my mom is like very musically talented. She can sing. Uh, she plays amazing on the piano. Wow. Um, so you know, being around that music, music, musicness, and all that stuff, uh, you know, uh, that definitely like put me in a position where like, hey, like I want to try playing an instrument, and guitar happened to be the first one. Cool. Uh, so. There was that aspect of me attempting to put my creativity into some sort of platform. Mm. Then I remember taking like, you know, art classes, drawing classes, really enjoying that process. And then in high school, uh, that's when I started to dance. Um, And that was like a huge, that still to this day is a really big passion of mine. And I've been doing that for about 13, 14 years, thankfully. Okay, sorry, I have to pause you for a second. Um, because I just, I don't, I know I interrupted the flow of your story, but I really like, I'm so curious right now. So I, um, grew up as a figure skater, but if I could do it all over again, I would want to be a dancer. And like, I also really love dancing. I love choreography. I love it all. Like I love everything. And uh, most of my, my news feeds are all dance stuff. And I can ask my husband, he's like, what are you watching? I'm like, don't worry about it. (laughs) But, But, um, and we were just talking about how you dance with UCI Dance Crew, too, for a little bit, which, if you don't know, is, like, a really great crew. Um, but uh, how did you start dancing? Because you're from Georgia, right? <laughs> and I feel like, okay, don't at me, people, but, like, I feel like Georgia is behind, you know, when it comes to dancing, like, that dance culture in the way that like we me and you have witnessed you know what i'm saying so like how did you even start dancing and you said you're from augusta right so like for me in my head i'm not gonna lie wesley i'm like what in the world like yeah how did that even spark yeah like my first exposure to dancing there's three things that come to mind number one there was a movie called you got served yes uh, which to me is like top 10 dance movies of all yeah, it's time. Yeah, a great movie. I yeah. love this. Oh, man, I'm so enjoying this conversation right now. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I saw that movie and I was like, holy crap. Like, that is so freaking cool. Mm. I want to do that. I don't know how, but I want to do it. And then uh, there was that movie. Um, then I remember when YouTube first, 
I don't, I don't remember exactly when YouTube first came out, but when I first heard about YouTube uh, and I started like just like searching through all the videos, I think one of the top viral videos, first viral videos that ever came out was this guy dancing. Um, and he was dancing at actually at an Asian American organization called Collaboration. Mm -hmm. So I happened to come across that video. I was like, holy crap, what is he doing? How do I do it? I and, love yeah. this so much. Okay. And then and the exposure <laughs> was America's Best Dance Crew. Okay. That was like seeing that on like TV in like such like a mainstream platform. Yes. Was when I was like, okay. Now I really got to figure out how to dance. Um, but those three things was the thing where I attempted to learn just by watching and trying to imitate it. Shut up. Obviously, like, I'm pretty sure I probably look extremely dumb no. <laughs> trying to do that back then. But I was just like, hey, like, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to learn. So that was kind of like my first attempt. And then when I moved to Augusta, um, this is so wild because, like, I just never would have expected there, this to exist in Augusta. But... Um, I used to go to the YMCA, you know, to uh -huh. play sports, um, do stuff like that. And then when I was there one time, I saw that there was a breakdance class that was being taught there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is what? Like, in Augusta, out of all places? And for sure, like, I signed up for as soon as I could. And then that was, like, my you? first. Huh? How old were you then? Uh, high school. So this was, like, my junior year in high school. So 16. Wow, you're so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, only because I'm like, I feel like I don't know if I would have done that. Like, just signed up. But that's cool. Okay. And then how was it? How was the, the class? I, it was awesome. Like, it was like a small group of people. Uh, there were three, four, like, uh, older people, probably like early 20s, mid 20s that you know, they were like the dance instructors mm. and they've been dancing for a really long time, but mm. they were my instructors. I learned a lot from them. You know, um, we not only would I like learn from them, we would do like, I don't know, like mock dance battles together. We would hang out together and stuff like that. So that was like my first, I guess, formal training that I would get. And then, you know, by being around them, they were very competitive uh, in terms of being in the uh, dance world as like a freestyle uh, as a freestyle dancer and more specifically as b-boys so then they would go they would drive two and a half hours to Atlanta uh, to enter b-boy competitions because <gasps> that was probably where more of the dancing would happen in terms of big competitions where most of the dancers were so they would be you know driving two and a half hours there and back to you know be with the rest of the dance community and enter these competitions I, at the time, was, like, I was too young. Like, I, my parents, I don't think my parents would have trusted me to go with some random older people to Atlanta for a day or two and then come back. So, you know, once I once I was in college, then, like, you know, I used to I have my own car. Then I would actually drive out there, get exposed to the Atlanta dance community and, you know, compete, take workshops, uh, just get involved with the dance community there. And that was kind of, like, my first exposure to dance community, I guess yeah. you could say. So... Yeah, I did all that throughout then and then college when I was at UGA, like I was a part of the breakdance club there. I became president of it because it's because I just wanted to like, because that was like all I was doing for a really long time. That's all I could think about. So I got to be president of that club for a little bit. Um, but that's essentially like my chapter of dancing before heading out to California, uh -huh. um, where 
honestly, like one of the big reasons why I decided to move out to California after college was like, I think at the top of my head, I, I think I really wanted to be like a professional dancer. Like oh, really? that was like a dream goal. Like I didn't know how it was going to look like or what I was going to do or where I needed to go. But I was just like, I need to go there because I would watch a whole bunch of like dance videos and footage on YouTube and they were all in like Southern California. Sure, they would all yeah. be in like uh, Irvine specifically at UCI. Because like Quest crew is from, from the, well, a lot of them are from Irvine. Yeah, like they're like Irvine, LA area, yeah. and then like Kappa Modern, they're specifically yes. in UCI. And then I was like, holy crap, like this is the exposure that I want. And that's where I, when I did move, I basically was like, all right, how do I get a part of this dance community? So there was a Facebook group for UCI, um, there's a specific group called B-Boys Anonymous. They're the freestyle dance community, dance group there. And they host a lot of the dance events at UCI specifically. Oh. So once I found out about them, I just decided to randomly hit them up on Facebook, on their Facebook group. I messaged them as like, hey, my name is Wesley. Like I'm new to the area. I know that you guys have like dance sessions like two times a week. I would love to like come out to it. Like, can you guys give me some information? And thankfully one of them answered. And then I, you know, from there, I just started attending their dance sessions like twice a week. Like it was from like 9 p.m. to like 12 a.m. where we're just all dancing together, grabbing food after and just like being exposed to that. And I think one thing that you mentioned before was just like, you know, in Atlanta or Georgia specifically, even now to this day, like the dance community community there, it's not organized. Like it's there, it's small, but I wouldn't say like they're on top of it when it comes to like all of them coming together. Like there, I don't think there really is like an organized Facebook group. Where right, right, right. Things. And California, Southern California, it's a complete different game and a different sure. story. Like it is super organized, so crazy. Like how people are so connected, how they're sharing about different workshops, events, competitions. And being a part of that was such like a wild experience where definitely it helped me to become a good dancer. Number one, it definitely helped me to network with those type of people as well. I got to meet a lot of famous dancers um, through that opportunity as well. But yeah, I I was like straight up full gung-ho about like dancing, 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 dancing. And I was attempting to do as much as I can to be a great dancer, if that makes sense. That's insane. I am so jealous right now. Like, I'm not even kidding. You can talk to my husband. He'll tell you. But like, um, okay, sorry. I know that we're here to talk about other things, but I just mm-hmm. had to know. Um, that is amazing. And I think, you know, you should be proud of yourself, like for taking steps, bold moves, you know, to to see and make things happen um, as far as like the things that you love and are passionate about. I mean, that's amazing, Wesley. I'm so like, yeah, jealous. <laughs> um, OK, question uh, of the of the day is, are there videos of you on YouTube that I can look up? Tell yeah. me the truth right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, like, you know, most of my dance videos, I definitely do share it on my Instagram uh, mainly. Uh-huh. So you can look at that. Uh, there may be a couple of videos that I have uploaded onto my old YouTube channel uh, where that could possibly exist as well. There were uh, no dance videos on your Instagram. Was there? Not as much. Like, <laughs> if you, like, go past, like, five rows down, then that's where most of the dancing stuff are. Okay. Because- 
I think the last three years, I like took like a huge break from dancing. I, see, I think I COVID was the biggest reason because, you know, obviously we are not allowed to see each other and stuff like that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you can just scroll down a little bit longer, most of it's on there. <laughs> okay. I know what I'm doing after this interview. <laughs> Okay, well, amazing. That's amazing, and I and I think that's um, really cool. So you were saying that you are, have always been a creative most of your life. When you went to UGA, you were part of the dance crew. I am curious, what did you uh, decide as your major when you went into University of Georgia? Yeah, so my my uh, so like the first major major that I chose was accounting because like okay, that's to not be honest, creative. like the, yeah, not not creative at, at all because like. At that moment, like even transitioning from high school to college, mm. you know, there's that pressure to like really figure out like sure. who you need to be and what you want to do for the rest of your life. And I think that's just crazy. Like Insane. it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Right. Um, but for me at the top of my head, like I wasn't even bold enough at the time to think about picking like a creative major. Mm. So for me, accounting was just like, all right, it's safe. It makes a lot of money apparently. And that seems to be something that my parents would agree on, I guess you could say. Mm. So I chose accounting. And then I guess once I had more thought about what I wanted to do later on, then I was like, obviously accounting is not for me. I also just did terrible in that class. I <laughs> on my first exam there and I was like, all right, I'm dropping this class. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, when I went to UGA, the major that I chose was advertising. Mm. Um, when I chose that major, I still did not fully understand what that meant, what that looked like as a career. Mm -hmm. I just chose it because it seemed creative. And sure. there's definitely like a lack of um, knowledge that there's definitely a lack of um, effort on my end to really understand like what each major is in terms of like what it could provide, how much money you can make, like what does that look for you in the future, but chose advertising. And I was thinking, okay, it sounds very creative. It sounds like I can like work on like ad campaigns, come up with marketing, come up with visuals. Um, there's the aspect of like psychology that I definitely think comes into play when we think about advertising. It's like, how can I convince someone to buy this product? How can I convince someone that this product you need it for your life and like your day to day? And I think there's that aspect of that that really drew me um, to wanting to go towards that uh, specific major and career. So I chose that. Um, and then that's what I essentially graduated with once I finished college. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so you finish college and then what happens? <laughs> yeah. So finish college. Um, then the move to California happens. Mm -hmm. And then my first, when I moved out to California, thankfully I was living with my aunt for that two and a half years. So they were helping me with that transition period. I didn't have to worry about the expense of rent and looking for a place to live, which I'm super thankful for them. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, once I did move out there, I didn't have any jobs lined up and I was like, like, I was trying so hard to like just yeah, find that next job and just have like a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that I found was a, a position as a marketing coordinator okay. um, at a at a skincare company. Oh. Uh, yeah, it was like a really like small startup company. Um, their product was actually in Sephora for a certain amount of time, but you know, I just found that position. I was like, hey, this looks like marketing sounds very similar to advertising. Let's sure. do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I did a lot of their email campaigns, coming up with the advertisements and figuring out how to sell products, stuff like that. Did that for about a year. 
then I found this opportunity to work with a creative agency. And I was like, ooh, this sounds like something that sounds creative and fun and something that sounds like a great exposure. So then I made like a slight career switch into project management just because I wanted to just be in that creative agency. I didn't care what position it was. Mm -hmm. So then I did project management for about a year, year and a half. But both two, both of those two types of job, I, I didn't like it. Like it, it, it wasn't something that I felt like I was like really enjoying at the time. Um, I found, you know, I'm not really great at project management because I'm just not an organized person, to be very honest. <laughs> and marketing just didn't fulfill me in that creative sense. Um, so after those two positions and careers, at the same time, that's when my quarter life crisis like really hit me. I don't know what everyone's perspectives and beliefs are around quarter life crisis, but I think it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. I think everyone's going to go through it no matter how much you want to say it, if it's real or not. And when that quarter life crisis hit for me, I was just like, oh my God, like, what do I, like, who am I? Like, what's my identity? Like, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? Like, how am I going to live my life in the most fulfilled, fulfilled way? Um, and then on top of that, like, I think another aspect of quarter life crisis is like, once you hit like that 24, 25 age, you find yourself in a position where you're comparing yourself to all your other college graduate friends. Sure. You're just like, you know, the other friends that decided to pick the accountant major that decided to pick business major because that makes the most amount of money. And, you know, I, I you know, once I graduated and I watched my other friends like succeed in life, you know, right. Like in making like good money, like working at a pretty well-known company, um, you know, I see, I want, I see that. And obviously internally self-consciously, like I'm like comparing myself to them. I'm like, crap, like where am I in my life? Like, why is my not, my life not like that? Like, how do I get there? Um, why do they seem so happy or why do they seem so set and secure in their, in their life? And that's something that I was like, really like struggling to answer for myself. And for me, like in order to be in a position of happiness or in a position of stability, I felt like I really needed to answer the question of like, yeah, what makes me happy? Like mm -hmm. what the, and what does that look like as a career or even as a passion? Mm -hmm. So after all that happened, that's when I essentially found out about UX design. And uh, when I was at the creative agency, there was a UX designer there. Um, I used to just pick her brain a lot in regarding to what she did on a day-to-day -day basis. And then I had another friend from church. He was going through a UX boot camp at the time and then I started to pick his brain about the boot camp process and going towards that route mm -hmm. so after talking to them to to those two people um I made the decision to go down the boot camp route as well mm -hmm. but I essentially chose UX design for two main reasons number one it, it really felt like that was going to be a really good creative outlet for my life and as a career um there's that aspect of it obviously when I'm like designing things uh, when I'm using my creative skills or even creative thinking skills specifically, mm -hmm. that probably comes up more often. And then the second aspect of UX design is there's a human psychology aspect that I'm just so naturally drawn to. And I think that's just because I'm a people person. Like I'm a really big extrovert. I like being around people of like different walks of life. That's why I think I like traveling as well. I just really like understanding different perspectives and just really like sinking that in and helping me to understand that, that, wow, there are so many different types of people around in this world, right? Nobody's the same. 
And I think there's that aspect of UX design that gives me the position to really empathize and understand different people and really understand their thought process and where they're coming from. So those are the two things that really drew me to the career. And then, yeah, essentially that led me to the UX bootcamp route. Um, my bootcamp was a six month, uh, six month program where three months of it was online. And then the last three months of it, I actually had to fly out to Chicago and move out there for three months to complete the program um, with my classmates and my instructors there. And, you know, that was also just like a wild ride of, you know, yeah, going, doing another move to somewhere completely new and, you know, quitting my job full time and, you know, just pursuing UX design full time and doing that. And even within that process, like I left California, which was like a really tough decision for me because I just loved it so much there. Um, but, you know, obviously for the better good of my career, decided to leave, live with my parents for about three months, fly out to Chicago to finish out the program. And then, you know, after all that ended, you know, uh, thankfully I was able to find my first job in position working for Dick's Sporting Goods out in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And then I had to move out there for about two and a half years just to get some experience under my belt. But that's essentially the whole origin of like how, you know, I got to a place where I felt like, okay, UX design is the right career for me. That's the one, that's the one thing that I can see myself doing long-term. And then that was through the bootcamp route. And then that led me to, um, you know, Pittsburgh and working there for a couple of years. Wow, that's a crazy ride. You know, the bootcamp itself, um, like, so, okay, let me start here. When I was in college, UX was not a thing, obviously. Um, and it is a fairly new kind of job position, I feel like. And, if, and um, you know, the fact that your friends were doing it and so you had some exposure to it. When you started the boot camp, was it like, were you finding yourself enjoying the actual boot camp itself? Like, did you feel like, okay, this is, this is for me. I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to love it or... How did you feel? Yeah, I <laughs> like when I yeah when I did it when I did my boot camp like I think that was right when UX design started to like trend a little okay, bit okay. where like everybody was like talking about it but no one really had an understanding or an idea of what exactly it was and to be honest I think I went in like at a perfect time because I think if I were to have gone to a boot camp anytime after that I did mm -hmm. it would have been a lot harder because even to this day, UX design is still very competitive. And it's a hard Yeah, yeah. That's what I Because a lot of people are doing the boot camp route um, these days. But yeah, to answer your question, like the whole boot camp stuff, like, I, you know, I understood that it was a gamble. Like, mm. even when you do a boot camp, right? Like your job's not guaranteed. Like after you finish the program, like it's not like you're given this official certificate that tells you that you are an official UX designer. And that's that itself is not really going to hold weight when you start applying for different positions, actual real positions out there. Um, so there was definitely some doubts in my head about like, is this, is this it? Like, it, it, is this the right career for me? Like, is this the right gamble? Because, you know, also on top of that, UX design, the bootcamp program itself wasn't cheap. Um, mm. And I needed my full support of my parents um, at the time to do that. And there was a lot of process of me convincing my parents of that, because I think, you know, as I was going through quarter life crisis and I was trying to figure out my career, like from my parents' perspective, I definitely think they could tell this is like, like what is Wesley doing? Like, why isn't he like figuring out his career? Like, 
why is he being so indecisive? Like, why won't he just grind it out and stuff like that? So there's a lot of that aspect of like really convincing my parents, like telling my parents like, hey, I feel like this is the best move for me and I need your guys to support, obviously emotionally, mentally, financially too as well. And then was able to thankfully convince them, hence me going into the boot camp. The boot camp process itself, like the one that I went to was very intensive. Like the fact that, that you had to fly out for three fly out to Chicago for the in-person phase for three months. Not a lot of boot camps require that today, but there is that aspect of being in a, in a classroom, being amongst your peers or your classmates and being in front of an instructor and getting that in-person experience was something that I feel like I, I thrive in. Mm-hmm. I know that there are people out there that would rather self-teach themselves. They don't do really well in classrooms to each its own. But for me, like being put in that position, I think really helped me to learn and grow um, and be where I am today. Um, so yeah, that whole boot camp process definitely wasn't easy. Definitely took a lot of convincing and decision making. And there's obviously the worry that comes after once you finish of like then having to apply for different positions and putting yourself out there, especially in a new career and starting brand new in that sense so there was definitely a lot of challenges and struggles and thoughts that I had to like really like think about and overcome in order to push myself through it yeah wow that's that's um big because I feel like you know again you know like you mentioned before you knew you were taking the risk of doing the boot camp itself and so um but that's amazing that you got a job like right after pretty much you said right yeah it took me three months, four months after my boot camp ended to find my uh, first job. And again, I think what helped was the fact that I was re- willing to be really flexible because, right, right. you know, at first, when I, once I finished, I was like, all right, I want to get a job either in Southern California or back in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So I started just looking for jobs in those two specific areas. Couldn't find anything. Then I was like, okay, fine. I'll just start looking at different cities other bigger cities and states so then I started to look for positions in DC Chicago um, Seattle still couldn't find anything and then I at that point I basically owned the whole beggars can't be choosers mentality and I was like I will go wherever (laughs) to get my first job and get the experience that I need to do and then that's when I found the junior UX designer position that was open and available at Dick's Sporting Goods Um, But then once I looked where that location was, it was Pittsburgh. And to be honest, at the time, I had no clue where Pittsburgh was. (laughs) I think a lot of people don't, to be honest. And I don't blame them. Uh, So, and then I was like, oh, shoot, this is where Pittsburgh is, all the way on the left side of Pennsylvania. Um, Do I really want to live here? Because I know nothing about it. And it doesn't sound like a, a a great city to be in. But, you know, for me, it was just like, beggars can't be choosers. I'm going to have to bite the bullet for about a year or two just to get some experience under my belt and then that's why I decided to you know yeah fully move out there and take that job because I think if I were to like wait around and look for another position I don't know how soon I would have found another another uh open up um opportunity and I would have taken that so that's something that I definitely was like another slight gamble of just being like you know what screw it let's go let's commit to it and let's get that experience under your belt So that way, once you have that, then you can have the flexibility of going wherever you want, right? It's kind of the aspect of delayed gratification of that I've been really trying to 
that's, that's something that my dad has been always telling me about like delay gratification, <laughs> delay gratification. And I was like, you know what? All right, this will be delay gratification. And then now I'm in this position where like I can go anywhere that I want because I am, I guess, competitive when it comes to being a UX designer and I yeah. can and even be remote essentially. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, what a, it is delayed gratification. I was going to ask you, like, are you happy with the decision that you made? And it sounds like you are. Um, so, Wesley, you know, what? Oh, oh, actually, something you said earlier caught my attention. Um, and and also because the other UX UI designer, um, I know that's different, but she, when she was on, um, she did talk a lot about like how a UX designer needs to be like empathetic to the user. Um, and like, so do you echo that? Like, do you agree? Like there needs to be some sort of understanding, empathy towards the user that is using whatever it is that you're designing. Yeah, absolutely. Cause like, you know, without empathy, you can't even understand their perspective, right? Like mm. you need to have empathy to understand like where they're coming from. Cause like there may be a user that really hates your product, right? So for example, when I was at Dick's Sporting Goods, um, a lot of the products that I got to work on was used by store associates at a Dick's Sporting Goods store. Okay. And I would come across stores. So whenever I would do user interviews and research and I would meet these store associates or managers, you know, I've come across a couple store associates who were very not friendly, very jaded, very mad at, I guess, corporate Dick's Sporting Goods um, mm -hmm. because I feel like that's a, that, that's the same opinion for a lot of people who are working for you know a bigger company where they're like yeah like I don't feel like my voice is heard amongst corporate or I don't feel like they take us seriously or whenever I try to give my opinion or feedback on something they won't it doesn't go to the right person or it falls on deaf ears right yeah. and you know when I start to interview some of these people they look at me with skepticism they're like oh here's this guy coming from corporate trying to tell us what to do or or here to hear us out but it's probably not going to be used at all whatsoever and you know a lot of that was uh shown to me into a very certain hostile kind of way and <laughs> i've had to do my best to empathize with them i get it like mm -hmm. yeah i can totally understand your position where like you feel like your voice isn't heard and i've had to like say things like hey like yes i'm from corporate but I'm not here to get you in trouble. I'm not here to rat you out. I'm really here to listen to your your perspective and your experience and the technology that you're using. So that way I can get your honest and genuine feedback, take that back to my team and actually improve your experience and make it better. Mm -hmm. um, so like another way that I've done to empathize or just to come to them with like a peace offering is like, we would do like store visits for like three to four hours. And we would just be there just gathering research and interviews. Sometimes we would go to the store with like a box of donuts and like coffee. Cause we're just like, Hey, we're nowhere taking up your time. We're taking your space, but here it's like, here we come in peace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you guys will have you happy with us for the next three, four hours. So we've done stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think once you are able to really hone in on that empathy skill and really, you know, be willing to understand their perspective, I think that really does make you a successful UX designer um, because sometimes you can be in your own head too about, you know, I, I could see myself in a position where like, oh man, these store associates, like it's not as hard as you, as you may think it is. Like, it's like right there. Like, why can't, why, why can't you guys do it? 
and like be successful in it. And like, that's definitely not the best attitude to have when you are talking to these people because your own bias can come into play and that could completely destroy your entire research if you really want. So Mm -hmm. there definitely needs to be an objective perspective on that. Um, But in terms of what that looks like as a success, if you were to do your job right, then what it looks like is like once my products were shipped out at the exporting goods and I come back to my users that I've been talking to for about six to eight months and I talk to them, they're like, oh my gosh, like thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you for so much for taking in our feedback. You guys obviously listen to us. This new product that you guys pushed out is amazing. You guys are saving me so much time. You guys are saving me so much stress. You guys are really improving my my life and experience working at the store and definitely makes my job easier. That to me is like the most fulfilling thing to hear um, that I'm, I was able to really listen to someone convert that into a better design and essentially improve the life of others. So that's another aspect that I really enjoy being a UX designer and being in, the, in that position specifically. Yeah, I mean, I love that so much. I mean, it really is something, it's a gift to be able to bring some sort of relief and solutions to people that are str- like, like, you know, like maybe the type of tech or software they're using is really ruining their day. Yeah. And if you can improve on it, like what a gift to them. So amazing. Um, okay. You kind of shared what you like. I, I don't know. Is that what you like best about your job? I was going to ask you that. What do you like best about being a UX designer? Yeah, there's that aspect of it. Um, I think one thing that you mentioned earlier too was like, you know, UX design is not necessarily as creative as most people think it is. Mm. Um, because that creative skill that you use in terms of coming up with like visual designs that comes like in the second half of the process, right? You only get to touch that until you get a rough understanding of the business goals, the user goals, doing the research. Um, but at the end of the day, I still classify UX design as a creative job because there's a lot of like UX designers that are out there or even UX YouTubers that will say UX design is not creative. I beg to differ because even though I'm not necessarily using my creative skills, I'm using my creative thinking skills. Mm -hmm. Like to be in a position where I can use my creative thinking is like such a blessing for me because that's why like I couldn't see myself being like a doctor or an accountant or, or I won't say lawyer, but let's just say like a doctor, right? Like a doctor has to do things A, B, C, D, E, mm-hmm. right? Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like you can't one day be like, you know what? With this heart surgery, I want to try something completely different, right? <laughs> if you do that, you're going to get fired. You're going to go to jail and yeah, you're going to lose your job. And right. you're not necessarily able to have that type of thinking involved within your job but UX design I get to use creative thinking all the time whether I'm in a meeting with business partners and we're trying to figure out the problems and solutions when I'm whenever I'm in like a like a sketching session like a sketching workshop when we try to think about different ideas for what the solution can look like like there's never a one route way to solve everything there's always going to be millions of different roads that you can embark on and and go on in order to get to the solution that you want to create and that's another aspect that I really do enjoy yes I'm not using my creative skills necessarily but to be in a position to still use creative thinking that gets my brain juice flowing and to be in a position where like yes like I love this like this is where I feel like I'm really thriving and I'm so thankful that I can do this with so many other 
people who think the same way in that creative way. Um, but that's another aspect that I definitely do enjoy about this um, and being able to utilize that from the, to that extent of creativity. Sure. Yeah, that's like that's I mean, I'm just like so happy for you that you found this outlet, you know, and not so late in your life as well. Um, OK, so what do you like least? <laughs> <laughs> mm. What I like least, there's definitely a lot of challenges of working with like your stakeholders and business partners. Uh, there's this battle between business I'm goals and music. <laughs> um, and you know, as a UX designer, I'm there to represent my users, and then yes. the business partners are there to represent the business. And you have to come to the same table and come to a mutual agreement about what it is that we are striving and working towards. Because why would there be disagreement? Because I think from a business partner perspective, they're not there talking to the users and really getting down to the nitty gritty. So a business partner might think, all right, problem A is the one that we really need to tackle and, and solution C is the right solution to fix this problem. So they'll come to us with, I guess, a suggestion or they'll come to us and be like, hey, we want you to work on this. I, as a UX designer, am working on a product team what we do within that process is we validate that. Mm -hmm. So a stakeholder might tell us to look into these things. We'll go talk to the users. And then we may hear something completely different from the business partners. I see. And then we have to essentially come back to them and be like, hey, we know that you brought up problem A and solution C, but that's not actually the real problem with what's going on today. It's actually problem B and then solution A that we really need to be working on. And here's why. And I back that up with my research that I've done when I do my store visits and uh, talking to the users and such. So they definitely come from a very, I don't want to say narrow perspective, but it's it's their own perspective. And I, I'm totally understanding of that because they need to, you know, think about the business goals and what's making the money and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it is definitely both people's job to come to the best middle ground so that way we can move forward and accomplish the business goals while accomplishing the user goals. And sometimes that process can be, that can take a lot of different meetings depending on the person itself. And that's where I even have to have empathy skills for my business partners too, right? Like some of them can be very disagreeable. Some of them maybe have never worked with UX designers or maybe they've never been a part of a creative thinking uh, workshop or collaboration or session then I have to be like, okay, like what can I do to change these certain things in order to make it more relatable or understandable? Um, so there's that challenge that there may be some pushbacks from them about what exactly are, like we're doing. Um, yeah. So another example is like, I might do like a sketching session or a session that involves some level of creativity. And then there may be a business partner that could be in on that same meeting. And they're like, why the heck are we drawing? Like, <laughs> how is this going to solve the solution or solve this problem and get to what are we doing? like this this looks like a waste of time and there are people like that and I think those are obviously the harder people that you have to attempt to convince them that we are doing everything in the right way possible to you know fix towards the uh, go towards the right problem and fix the right and come up with the right solution so there is definitely that that hassle of yeah trying to get everyone on the same page and coming up with the best middle ground in order to move forward with your product sure yeah yeah um Oh, man, you're so good at like articulating the answers to all these questions. I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, Thanks, like I'm learning <laughs> so much. I'm learning so much. Thank you so much. Um, so we're coming up uh 
to the end of our hour together. I mean, we can talk more, but I also feel like we could chat forever. Um, so sure. that's dangerous. But, <laughs> but um, Wesley, was there anything else that you felt like you would want to share um, or something I missed even? Mm. I f- something that I want to share. So I have a question for you. So like with your podcast, right? Like yeah. your podcast goal is to, I think I'm ready to like a snippet about like, you know, you work with a lot of younger people yeah, um, yeah. and you're trying to, you know, have this platform. So that way, you know, people like me can share our story and our experience and help them to, I guess, like what strive in their career, their mm-hmm. life. Is that kind of like the gist that I'm getting with your podcast? Yeah. I mean, um, the, my listeners that, uh, normally, I mean, like my my goal was to expose like young people to different types of opportunities and jobs, and um, you know, I'm you had already mentioned it before. Like, it's how are we supposed to pick what we want to do at eighteen? It's so mm-hmm. crazy, right? Like, we don't even know ourselves very well at eighteen, um, and um, but you know. Even so, there are still people that go to college and have to choose a major. And so my my goal was kind of to just expose people to different options. Like you don't have to do the three things that we were told that are are only things we can do, right? Maybe not yeah. in every family, but in a lot of Asian American families, doctor, lawyer, engineers, sure. the top three, right? And so, uh, or maybe accounting too, probably. <laughs> but um. And so uh, I have learned through this podcast that not everything is a straight line, especially my personality. I think just the way I have been wired is like, um, yeah, like you decide, you do what you're supposed to do, and then you apply it. And my life did not turn out that way at all. Um, But I thought it would, you know, and then, you know, I'm discovering – I am definitely not the only one. There, I think there are a few uh, um, guests that I've had that they've decided, they knew, and they just went for it, and they're super successful, and they also love what they do, right? Um, but definitely the majority is not the case. And it's similar to your story, right? I, I think a lot of um, people that listen get encouraged because they're like, oh, Oh, so like I was trying to, what I was trying to get at was I thought it would be like younger students that would listen and they, some of them do, but I'm noticing just even through my statistics and stuff is that a lot of my listeners are that postgraduate where, um, Hey listeners, this is you, um, uh, like just graduated. Right. And it's like, oh, like now I really have to figure out what I want to do with my life. You mentioned quarter-life crisis. I went through that as well. Um, And so I'm a firm believer of it too. It's like, oh, crap, what do I do now, you know? (laughs) And so, um, yeah, a lot of my listeners are more in that general area. Gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the questions that you shared with me earlier uh, was something around, like, what would I have done differently yeah 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 I think any advice yeah for me like I if I were to go back I wish I would have been bolder sooner like I wish I would have I mean like my timeline yeah yeah, like there was a lot of things that I definitely did 
to just be like, you know what, F it, let's do it. Let's fully commit and see where it goes. But sometimes I'm like, dang, like, I, I wonder who I would have been if I'd done it a lot earlier. Like, mm. for example, if I went back in high school or back in middle school, I, I wonder like where I would have been if I decided to fully commit into music or fully commit into drawing and art. Mm. And then um, like another thing is like, even with like, uh, what is it? like the YouTube channel that I have, like, I, I wish I would have started that so soon, like a lot sooner, because mm-hmm. that was something that I've been wanting to do since I was in middle school, um, mm-hmm. because I've been video editing for fun all the time. And I was like, oh, I want to be in this position to do the exact same thing from the YouTubers that I watch. And that was definitely something of a late uh, passion that has started um, as of recently. Um, but you know, with being bold, like, it's about like, really going towards what it is that you exactly want like how much do you want it it's like for me like I wanted to be a creative obviously I didn't necessarily know which direction to go but I just knew I had to keep running and moving forward towards that direction and that was me making these bold moves to be like you know what I'm, I'm leaving Georgia where I've been there for six years yeah. I'm gonna go to California somewhere completely different um, and take a deep dive into that and see where it goes and obviously that has led me to like a dance community that has led me to a creative community that has led me to UX design. And then that's where I am today. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. even with UX and then all of those three combines that has led me to creating my YouTube channel around UX design. Right. So like, I feel like all those different things essentially kind of comes full circle and I'm able to combine them all together. But, you know, there's definitely moments in college and high school where I was very, very hesitant. I was very scared. I was scared about what my parents were going to think I was very scared about what my peers were going to think to me like especially when it comes to peers and like your college friends that you you know went to college with and you grew up with like those are the ones that I don't now I'm thinking now it's like I don't know why I cared so much but I I understand why I did because at the time like that's your that's your everything like Mm -hmm. validation respect um as a as a as a college student as a man as an Asian American like those are all things that I think everybody struggles with regardless of your age but college is kind of that prime time of just you're just like all right how do I be cool how do I how do I get all the girls attention like what can I do to do the cool thing um but you know for me it was just like yeah I I I I wish that if I was to get my headspace out of that a lot earlier I just would have been very curious to be curious to know what position I would be today Mm -hmm. because I think everything that I've done has led me to this point but it's also the question of like oh if I did this three or four years younger I might be at some completely different position where I feel like I'm really doing really well for myself blah 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 um but yeah that's kind of the thing is like I just try to I would tell other people to be bold like if that's what you want go for it like no one's stopping you like your parents not stop. I mean, to be to a certain degree, your parents aren't really stopping you. Your friends for sure are not stopping you. Like, go for what you want, whether that's a move, whether that's committing to a boot camp, whether that's saying like, hey, like I'm going to put these group of friends aside and put myself in a different group of friends that I know that if I'm with them, I'm going to grow in the way that I want. And obviously, that's like a really bold decision to do in that sense of like you worrying about oh am I going to lose these friends or not um but I think yeah I think at the end of the day if that's what you really want you're going to go for it Mm -hmm. and you have to commit and be bold and I think if people really do that 
at the end of the day, you're going to be like, why didn't I do this sooner? Because mm-hmm. you're at the end of the day, you're going to surround yourself with people that understand you, that really understand you and you, the way that you are and the way that you think. And that's the thing that I'm really grateful in the sense of community as well, because you know, the worry was also like, oh, what if I lose all my friends? What if I lose the respect of certain people? But none of that really mattered because the people that really understand who I am as an Asian American, as a creative, as a UX designer, those are the people where like, I'm fully like appreciative of, I, 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 by being in that type of environment community, I find myself continuing to grow um, as a creative. And then I find myself in a position where I want to give back as well. So there's an aspect of, yeah, like feeling blessed and fulfilled in that sense in the way that you want to replicate that with other people who are in this, who have been in the same position as you. So when I see people who are like coming out of post-college, like, I'm like the most excited for them specifically. Yeah. Like it's also the moment where you're deciding to become a legitimate full adult. <laughs> like high school, from high school to college, it's like, all right, I'm gonna I'm becoming a full adult without my parents' supervision. I can do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. Then post-college, assuming that a job may take you to a different state or city, then like you're away from that, you're away from that social circle that you've surrounded yourself for so long. So you're not necessarily afraid to make bold moves. And that's thing, that's another thing why oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, the LA thing really helped me because I didn't care what everyone else thinks because they were no longer around me, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of gives you the ability to create your own new identity. And obviously that can be a good thing or a bad thing. But by being in that position, I was able to start from fresh and create and start and embark on this new journey as a creative in that type of identity and strive towards what I want to do and become who I want to be. So there's that aspect of just, yeah, the community aspect that I think is, you know, once you get put into it, you'll be really surprised like how much support there is from other people that think like you and that understand you. So that's another aspect that I've been, um, I'm really appreciative of looking back into the past and seeing them supporting me and helping me to become who I am today and I'll, and I'll always remember them and like they'll always be a part of my life uh, to a certain degree as well so that's just kind of how I envision it and I, that's how that's how I want to have other people mm. move forward with especially if you're in a position where you don't know what it is that you want to do no yeah I mean like wow Wesley what an encouragement I feel like too to other people you know another reason I started the podcast and as I continue to make more episodes um, what I what's kind of like the revelation that I have is yeah like I feel like I have a tool and a resource to kind of start to eliminate the fears that people create in their heads and their minds about certain futures or what it looks like and really be able to witness the testimonies honestly of the the people that have gone before you have done it are making those bold moves and you look at them now and they're like hey look when you take the, take the chances and take the risk and decide that hey this is what I need to move to Pittsburgh I need to open up my you know my my circles I can't just stick to Atlanta and and California my comfort zones and I got to do what I got to do and Absolutely. because of it right is that delayed satisfaction or was that, was that what you called it delayed satisfaction delayed gratification gratification thank you <laughs> and and like I yeah I just feel like thank you for your transparency and your encouragement to others to be able to be like hey 
Like you just got to do it. And and even you saying you wish you had done it sooner. Um, I know I know what you mean by that. But I also feel like the life that you lived with is with purpose, and and it's it's where you're supposed to be now. So um, thank you again, Wesley. I really um, had an awesome time learning more about your job and about you. Um, I'm super excited. I hope we can be friends still too after this. <laughs> Yeah. Also, props to you in your podcast. Um, like, I, so, uh, bef- you know, a couple years ago, I attempted to do a podcast as well. And it's very similar to around your goals and visions, too, where like, I just wanted to bring like different types of people, sure. give them a voice and stuff like that. It obviously like, I don't have it now. I didn't flourish in the way that I wanted to. You but- should start it again. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I have time, that's another I know, I know. that I want to go towards. But I think that's something that I definitely respect out of what it is that you're doing, um, because I think a, a very strong opinion of mine, I feel like this today, this world is going, it's like becoming more of like an introverted world, Sure. Yeah. especially because of technology, there's yeah. the metaverse and like yeah. you know, things that really, I think, distract us from coming together actually mm-hmm. in person. Um, but because it's going towards that direction, I definitely do think podcasts is one avenue where people can try to connect with someone even though they're not there in person and then you know if they feel like in a certain story or experience is something that they can relate to then I would hope that that person is bold enough to make decisions and being like you know what I'm going to go for that community you know what I'm going to reach out to this person that I heard through a podcast and talk to them and really have that interaction specifically and I think that's definitely a beautiful thing and I can definitely see that coming out of your podcast as well yeah yeah no and it has been and thanks for saying that because now I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you are you, um I always do this I like my husband recently was like you know I feel like you really trap people when you ask them like hey like would you be willing to connect with somebody that wants to connect with you and they're what are they going to say no like <laughs> but but all that to say Wesley would you um, be okay with me connecting you with somebody that maybe is like hey I want to know more about UX or or the boot camp or I just want to know about the bold moves that Wesley has made or I want to know about dancing you know (laughs) Um, would you be all right with that oh absolutely yeah yeah that'd be great Awesome. Well, guys, if you have any questions for Wesley, um, he said yes. And you can contact me through DM um, on social media or you can email me at podcastwigu at gmail.com. Or you can just, um, I think you can, pro- your Insta is open too, right? It is. Yep. Yeah. So it's Wesley Hong. What's, I, don't, I forget your ID. What's your username? Yeah, my IG is whhong 92 Okay, well, I will connect you if you didn't catch that. But um, you guys, thanks again for listening. Wesley, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. Until next time, guys. Peace.